the thing that changed everything for me is wrestling, you know, because it was the, the synthesis of everything that it takes to be great in anything. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Tuesday, December 20th. Our guest today is Brett Penninger, a businessman, the founding partner of Cairo One Wellness Centers. Before that, he worked at USA Wrestling, wrestled at University of Wisconsin, and is an Ohio native. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Fan of the Week goes to our friend Marilyn Carroll out of Amherst, Mass., the proud new owner of a Wrestling Changed My Life hoodie. Thank you so much for the support, Marilyn. We appreciate it. And if you want to support the podcast, please go to store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. Before we get to this episode with Brett Penninger, this episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is the company behind AG1, a nutritional supplement that covers your daily allotment of vitamins, minerals, and superfoods. Athletic Greens is a sponsor of this podcast, and if you go to athleticgreens.com WCML, you can take advantage of a one-year supply of vitamin D droplets, as well as five free travel packs. That's athleticgreens.com WCML. Now let's get to this episode with Brett Penninger. Brett Penninger, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Well, thanks for having me. I'm telling you, uh, super excited to be here, honored big time, and uh, really proud of what you're doing for the wrestling community and everyone who's involved in the world's oldest and greatest sport. Amen. I was reading your blog and uh, noticed that you're a fan of Ogmandino. That's one of my. That's one of my guys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that book, The Greatest Salesman in the World. I love that book. Yeah, he is. Uh, he, among many authors, are just timeless and the wisdom that they can support us in, uh, whether it's in wrestling outside of it for life period. So, uh, good to know we have a, a common friend for sure. And you've had a, a very interesting career of, of business of coaching and wrestling. Let's just start at the beginning though. How did you get involved with the sport? Oh my gosh. I got involved in the sport in 1978 in seventh grade. And, uh, I didn't know anything about wrestling at all other than watching it on WWF at that time, it was Georgia championship wrestling. And, uh, I got to see, uh, Mr. Wrestler and Tony Atlas and the great Kabuki, all these great professional wrestlers. And one day I'm walking in, uh, junior high and this coach comes up to me and he goes, Hey, what do you do in the winter? And I'm short, you know, I'm like, well, I don't play basketball. And he goes, have you thought about wrestling? And I lit the funk up. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I want to be able to be like these professional wrestlers. And that wasn't the case. Uh, shortly thereafter, we have a meeting. The head coach walks in for the junior high and uh, he says, gentlemen, gentlemen, settle down, settle down. He goes, uh, I'm the head wrestling coach and you guys are here for wrestling. I just want you to know that wrestling is the hardest sport that you'll ever participate in. And most of you won't make it. <laughs> and I just remember going, wait, what? <laughs> I'm going to show you <laughs> and fell in love with it right away. Wow. 
I often wonder if it wasn't for pro wrestling, I don't know how many people would be in wrestling. (laughs) 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 The amount of people have said that on this podcast. I bet it's over half that initially they're like, I thought I was going to be jumping off turnbuckles and, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect or yeah, man, it's funny. Cause my brother and I, we love, um, WWF as well, but I don't know if that's how we got involved, but man, every kid just loves pro wrestling. You know, I, I think a lot of them do at least, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what made you stick it out? Did you, uh, did you just love it from the get go? Well, um, it was the first time I, I have a, um, yeah, a unique background, at least, at least for me. Um, the school that I was going to at the time was predominantly white. And my family was one of the only African-American families there. And so um, I had been in the school since second grade. So we're now five years in and dealt with a significant, you know, back in the 70s and everything else, uh, significant amount of racism. And wrestling was the first sport that I had control in. Right. You know, being a smaller athlete, um, I got a lot of uh, accolades and participating in athletics and baseball and track and football and everything else. But it was always a team. And wrestling was one thing that I could be small and still be competitive in. And I could control the outcome, be responsible for it, which, uh, you know, and being a minority or, you know, someone that goes through a lot of challenges like that, that anybody listening to this would understand you know, you kind of feel like, man, where where do I fit in and where can I be great? Because otherwise I'm told why I can't. And wrestling was that. And uh, it was an immediate, oh my gosh, I love this. Everything about it, the physicality, the uh, strategy, it takes intelligence and it takes a lot of hard work and you're responsible. So loved it. And so it was a little bit about, or a lot of it about finding something that you could control in your world. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. what about your family? Were they were they athletes, your parents? No. Uh, my mom was a singer and phenomenal singer, but didn't have an athletic bone, quote unquote, in her body. My dad, um, he was athletic, but he grew up on the mean streets, right? So he did a little bit of swimming, but he was never really involved in competitive athletics in high school or junior high or anything. You know, he went right out of high school into the army and um Anyway, didn't know that much about it, but uh, a good athletic, you know, um, yeah, uh, undercurrent sure. <laughs> is through my my being, right? Yeah. And any brothers and sisters? I do. I have a older brother and a younger sister, and uh, my older brother is not athletic at all. My younger sister is very athletic, so. I kind of started setting the standard for what athletics could produce for us in our family, uh, starting with me. Wow. And you mentioned that you were subject to uh, some discrimination as a kid. How did you like process that growing up? Did you even know what it was? Well, it was very easy to know what it was <laughs> in my situation. Um, I was really born in uh, Lima, Ohio, and we were in a a mixed community at that time, but predominantly African-American. This is, you know, uh, mid-60s to early 70s. And again, when we moved, um, I lived on both sides of the track, you know. So I was involved in the African-American community through my church and my parents. And then I was involved in the Caucasian and the white community through school. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I got an opportunity to see both sides. You know, a lot of times there were african-americans who looked up at uh you know white people and they're like oh my gosh well they're up on the pedestal and i'm like i go to school with them like they're not necessarily the sharpest knives in the drawer comparative (laughs) all the time right and then on the other side you know i have all of my friends and so forth in school and they're like well you know african-americans black people are like this i'm like well but you know me and i'm not they're like yeah but you're different and so I was able to see this dichotomy on both sides on how we viewed the other, but had the blessing of having the experience of both. Mm. Wow. Now that's, I can only imagine like what that experience was like and how it shaped, you know, everything going forward. What were your, uh, your coaches, someone who would become mentors for you, like long lasting, or was it more like self-driven and self-motivated as a wrestler for you? Oh man, no. Um, 
You know, one of the things that I was excited about being on this podcast is um, wrestling as an individual sport, as the greatest and oldest sport, you know, there is, there can be an illusion, especially when you're successful in it, that it's all about me. Like I'm the one who did it. I'm the, you know, but at the end of the day, and I learned this big time in uh, coaching and from being coached that no one does this alone. You know, so the minute you think you're, you know, the stud, you got to think about, well, do you have people to wrestle with? Uh, do you have somebody who has a mat there for you to wrestle on? Do you, how did you get to practice? You know, do you have people who are teaching you what in the heck to do? Like there's so many people that support you being excellent that um, there's no way I ever looked at it as something that, you know, it was only because I was self-driven and I was so great. And my coaches were uh, still to this day, as a matter of fact, I just had uh, lunch with my uh, junior high who ended up becoming my coach from seventh grade until I graduated. When I went to high school, he came with. Wow. And so uh, I had him straight six straight years, just had lunch with him. Uh, and that was now 44 years ago or whatever. So yeah, they're all incredibly important in my life. And when you were out at USA Wrestling, you were running the National Coaches Education Program, correct? Correct. Correct. How did yeah. you end up in that role? Oh, my gosh, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope those who listen to this get I'm not the um, superstar, four-time All-American, national champ, world champion, Olympian. I worked with a lot of them, and I know them very well. Um, I was successful. However, I wasn't that good, you know, at that level. And so <clears throat> from looking at what I was able to do and getting involved in wrestling post my competitive career, the one thing I said I'd never do is, is coach. Not because I didn't love them, but I wanted to be successful financially. And I'm like, well, you're not really going to be able to do that in wrestling. And I failed spectacularly right out of college in a straight sales commission job. And uh, I moved back home before that was a normal common thing. And uh, all what of a sudden- happened I get... there? Hold on a second. Well, that sounds like, bi that sounds big. That had to be a pretty uh, ter big turning point for you at the time. Oh, dude. I, I ended my, my college wrestling career um, uneventfully. It wasn't a, a great ending there. But anyway, I ended up going into straight commission sales and I failed bad, like bad. I got- evicted from the place that I couldn't afford anymore and everything else. So I ended up moving back home. Whoa. And while I was there, you know, licking my wounds, coming back a fallen star, basically in a, that small community, I get a phone call from uh, a guy by the name of Marty Loy, who was the head coach at Stevens Point University. He said, hey, what are you up to? And I said, nothing. And he said, hey, I'd like to consider seeing if you'd be interested in the coaching job here at uh, UW Stevens Point. And I'm like, uh, hell to the naw. And he's like, okay, well, I just, I just wanted to check it out. And I hung up and my mom goes, who was that? And I said, oh, it was Marty Loy. And I had met him earlier because uh, he was a Badger alum like me. And she said, uh, what was he asking about? I said, well, he wanted to see if I wanted to coach. And I said, no. And she goes, why? And I said, well, because I don't want to coach. I said, I'd never do that. And she goes, well, let me think. You're at home and how much are they going to pay you? I'm like 10 grand. And she goes, uh, that's $10,000 more than you're making now. <laughs> so, and it's something that you do love and you're good at. So you might want to give him a call back. So I did, I started coaching there, uh, found out I had a gift for it and we, uh, had lightning in a bottle, had an amazing career there. And then got called from my assistant wrestling coach at, uh, UW Madison, Mitch Hall, three years later to see if I'd be interested in coming and running the, uh, coaches development program at USA Wrestling. And I'm like, no, we have a job here. We're going to win the national tournament. We're on a roll. And Marty looks at me and he goes, how much are they paying you? I'm like, well, at that time, 22 grand. He goes, but that's double what you're making now. <laughs> and it's a great opportunity. I think you should take it. So I did. And uh, for the decade from 90 to 2000, I was uh, at USA Wrestling and UW Stevens Point for three years, USA Wrestling for seven. Wow. I got to, uh, I can't even imagine just like 
what you were, where you were at mentally, the self-talk and all that driving back to Ohio after the sales commission job, it didn't go well. I mean, that had to be like, looking back on it, what do you think went wrong? Um, well, a lot of things. I mean, I was going through a lot of, um, challenges. You know, I had this escalation living into my dream wrestling, um, in the big 10 at, at, uh, Wisconsin and, um, without going into a lot of the details, you know, I, uh, was ranked in the top 10 and then at the 11th hour, my head coach at that time, uh, said that he was going to have somebody else wrestle at the big 10. So I'm like, what? And it started the dissension of um, my mind, you know, mm. blah, blah, blah. So I ended up not wrestling in the NCAAs that my senior year um, after going there my junior year and placing in the Big Tens and stuff. And uh, once I got his job opportunity, I always wanted to own my own business. And this was an opportunity to be in control of that. But I didn't know what straight commission and owning your business looked like. I just learned new hours for dollars. And so I was living my life as if it were hours for dollars mm. and uh, just got in over my head yeah. and it all collapsed. Uh, so why did you your know, coach, were you totally shocked when you got pulled out of the lineup as a senior? Or did, did you know it was coming or? No, it was, it was a total shock, total shock. Oh my um, gosh. And, you know, the blessing in all of it is that um, everything works out for the good. You know, it's kind of yeah, it everything that you learn in wrestling, you know, like when you lose and you think it's the worst thing that ever happened. A lot of times that very loss is what propels you to then go on to win something that's really important to you or to have that mindset, you know, that you can overcome anything if you just stick to it. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like at the time, these things are brutal, but then you never know what it's going to lead to. And so you you develop this relationship with Mitch Hole, and you get out to USAW. And what was the state of like the National Coaches Education Program when you got there? Um, well, it had just started to be developed. Um, Mike Haggerty was the first uh, National Coaches Education Program coordinator. That was the title at that time. Um, and he started the program. He started it from ASEP, American, American Coaches Education Program. And um, he then left and he went to coach in high school in Missouri, where he's from. And Mitch asked me to come in. And so it was about two to three years old. And so we wanted to start something and really build it. And so we went from the ASEP program, basically utilizing their copper, bronze, silver level, you know, coaching methodology. And I'll never forget it, Mark. Uh, Mitch goes, all right, so uh, welcome to USA Wrestling. He takes me into this office and there's a big file cabinet and he goes, here's some of the documents and stuff of the things that we've done. And so now your job is to build a program. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? He goes, well, like I said, you can look through this and, you know, uh, you'll figure it out. And so uh, I went through the process of thinking backwards, which then became the same type of thing you do. You have a goal for being a state champion or an All-American or a national, and you work backwards and said, okay, so what would it look like to have the best program in the world? And so I started uh, learning from people who had had some really strong coaches education programs and um, learned from the best coaches that we had and developed a program uh, to where it's at today. So I have you to thank for all those copper classes I had to do back in the day. Huh? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Man, I can't tell you how many times we get to like the, the nationals in Cedar Falls and we're coaching some kids and I'm in like my early 20s. So I have nothing organized. And my brother and I would get there and we'd be like, oh man, we don't have this certification, that certification. We're taking classes. So, um, so, I, <clears throat> so the goal was let's put USA wrestling on a robust system for giving coaches like a stepping stone to better themselves is kind of the, the net net of it. Well, yeah, it was to raise the status of wrestling and raise the um, competitive level of, of USA wrestlers um, worldwide. And it always starts with having really competent coaches, you know, the greatest athletes typically aren't that way because they just show up. 
You know, they have to be developed and they're developed by people who understand what winning looks like. Like as an example, and I'm sure a lot of the um, people that you've had talking on here, one of the toughest parts of coaching is the parents because the parents oftentimes don't know what success really looks like, but they want their young son or daughter to be successful. And they're like, Hey, and they're living their lives through them. And so they're pushing them in a direction that they think is going to have them be successful, but just burns them right out of the sport. And that's whether it's, it doesn't matter if it's wrestling, football, it doesn't matter. And so being able to then teach parents and coaches and at every level, here's the fundamentals. Here's how you actually teach them. Here's the mental side of it. Here's the skills that they need to develop. Here's the levels. Here's the opportunities. That's what we wanted to and needed to build for USA Wrestling to have a feeder system for both our collegiate ranks, but our international ranks too. Mm. And the coaches education program was a foundational part of that. Absolutely. Were there other organizations that you saw doing a really good job with it? That, like, was it soccer or football that you drew from? Or I'm, I'm just curious. Oh, you bet. Um, USA Basketball had a phenomenal program. USA Hockey mm. had an incredible program on the development. Even basketball at that time, you know, you're like, well, again, that was the first dream team. But prior to that, in 96, prior to that, you had, you know, the national uh, best players would go and so forth. And so they had a really strong program to build coaches. Um, yeah, hockey was phenomenal where I learned a lot from their leadership there and so forth so that we could, um, you know, develop the best program in the USOC, uh, which I don't quite think we made it at, but we were close. I read that you guys were right there, man. Right we, we there. were right there. The crazy thing about USA Wrestling is, is that in the early 90s, they were going through a lot of financial troubles and maybe weren't going to make it from what I hear, like in the in like 90, 91, somewhere in there. Yeah. And it was like guys like Art Moratori that stepped in and kind of saved it. And then so you got there. It probably changed a lot from 93 to 2000 in terms of the big, advancement. Well, big time. I mean, we won the first world championships that the U.S. team had ever won in 95 prior to the 96 games, you know, and then they recently just won it uh, two years ago, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so anyway, it was a golden era of a lot of stuff. You had John DuPont, um, who was tragic later, but mm -hmm. at that time, you know, starting Foxcatcher, which became um, even more powerful for wrestlers to compete and get paid than what Art Martori had set up with some kids. Mm -hmm. And then you had both of them, being able to support even more wrestlers at the highest level. So it was a fantastic period, big time for USA wrestling. Yeah. And when you were out there, did you have a chance to go to Atlanta at 96? Oh, watch you bet. That, that you had bet. to be special. Oh, man. Um, yeah. You know, um, I was a assistant coach at the training center for that whole duration of time that I was there and supporting Bruce Burnett and supporting Steve Frazier, who came along, and our uh, Roy Oliver, who was our developmental coach at that time, and so forth. Um, so Roy Oliver much... was the developmental coach. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, oh my gosh! I yeah. met him like uh, man, must have been probably like eight years ago now, ten years ago now, but down in Southern California. And that guy is at the time like he was one of those guys that was old like quite a bit older than the rest of us and you didn't really know like with was what he telling you like what actually happened and then you meet some other guys who knew him when he was younger and they're like oh no roy was legit like he was he was the real deal but he was just like so stoic in his advice and you're just like man he knows everything how does he know all of that and then yeah yeah over time you're like oh man we were blessed to have roy like he was legit yeah yeah and still is right i yeah. get it seriously you know? man uh, but like everyone has that coach where it's like my middle school coach is the same way. Louis Montez, shout out Louis Montez. He he was a wrestler in like the 60s and 70s. And that was like so far for us to even think back. You're like, man, I don't even know if I believe half these stories, you know, but turns out that most of them probably were true. And uh, Coach Oliver was very similar. So, wow, I didn't know you were working with him. So you're, yeah. you're doing a lot of things when you're out at USA Wrestling. Oh, my gosh. It was uh, one of the, if not... Yeah, I would say one of the most uh, just fantastic time periods of my life. 
like fantastic. I get a chance to travel all 50 states as a result of my role um, to going state to state and holding coaches, um, education courses, and um, be able to <clears throat> learn a ton all along the way, do something that I loved, you mm-hmm. know, wrestling, um, and gain a lot of expertise on what it really looked like to be the very best. So even though I didn't do that personally, what I realized is why. And I saw the mindset and the work ethic of the Brands Brothers and Dave Schultz and what that looked like and just all of that. So uh, a magical time period. Man, what you just said is so true. Like I was talking to my buddy about this the other day. Knowing what I know now about performance anxiety, mental improvement, like visualization, self-talk, like now knowing all this just from reading and from doing all these interviews, I look back at when I was in high school and I didn't have a chance. Like I had no confidence. (laughs) I was just, I was nervous. I didn't know how to handle any of it, but it's like, to your point, once you interview people who have done it, then you can see, Oh, it is possible. And here's what I was doing wrong. And I'm guessing that you applied a lot of that to what you did in business around 2000 when you made the jump into the back to the business world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, wrestling is, There's so many things that are so phenomenal about it, but at the end of the day, one of the most powerful things, at least for me that I learned from coaches and and everything else is at the end of the day, you're responsible, Mm. right? You know, you'd like to blame the ref. You'd like to say, you know, I got screwed on a call. You'd like to say, um, well, my coach should have done something different. All of the, if I were in a different side of the bracket, but at the end of the day, you still have to compete and, Two men enter, now two people, one woman, whatever. Two people enter and one leaves victorious. And that's going to be a function of your mindset and your skill and your preparation and your work. And so in business, it's the exact same thing. You know, uh, being a business owner was a dream of mine ever since being a young child. But it's the hardest thing in the world to do because 90 plus percent of businesses fail. And those that are in the 10% that do make it, they fail within the next five to 10 years. So very few make it. Mm -hmm. That's perfect as a wrestler because very few of us even get on the mat to compete in something that's so hard that you have my props. If you never started on a team, but you wrestled, I think um, the tipping point is you have to have wrestled at least a month. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Then you're in the family, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh man. So what? So talk, talk us through it. So it's 2000. You've been at USA Wrestling for a while. And what was the uh, what was the move that you went to from there? And and how did you how did you make that jump? Oh man, sure. Um, not surprisingly, my best friend uh, is a wrestler. And when we were growing up, we met in high school. When we were growing up, we just always said we were going to do something someday to change the world. We had no idea what that would be, but we just had that connection. And uh, he ended up becoming a chiropractor Mm -hmm. and one of the world's greatest chiropractors ever in its history, short history. It started in 1895. And I went the coaching route and got involved in USA Wrestling. And so was able to bring him into the fold through our mutual connection and he became the first chiropractor of a u.s team olympic team in 96 and then carried forward uh, 95 96 and then still currently uh there's a lot of chiropractors in sports today well when we had always looked at working together 2000 comes around we'd get together every year you know we were obviously working together uh me as a coach at usa wrestling and him as a chiropractor for our teams And he goes, I think I found a way that we can work together. And he had a uh, practice management company that was growing. And he's like, "Uh, I have to work my job because he was still a full-time practitioner. And he goes, but I think based on your skill set that you could come in and run the company and we could blow it up. And I'm like, let's do it. And so in 2000, we said, let's do it. I had done everything I could pretty much in USA Wrestling it was a great opportunity to finally live full out into my entrepreneurial dreams. And the company blew up in less than two years. We became, we went from zero to the second largest practice management company uh, in the profession. 
And as the company blew up, our friendship imploded. No. And so, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so many times I've heard that with partnerships in business. Oh, oh my God. I hate to hear that. All right. What happened? What happened? Uh, well, one, I was, I was, I had a lot of naivete and I was ignorant and I didn't know my head from my butt, you know, in business. He had a tremendous amount of experience in business and, um, you know, all of a sudden you have this great friendship, but a business relationship and a friendship uh, can be two different things, or at least you wear two different hats. And um, I just, you know, even though the company blew up, there were a lot of things that I wasn't doing uh, great that I needed a lot of uh, additional training in. And he had a partner, so he wasn't the only one who was part of that decision. But his partner started doubting if I'd be the person that could take this rocket ship and take it to the moon and uh so they decided to let me go wow and i'm like i was crushed however i was also looking at how to get out at that time because i valued our friendship far more than the business success yeah and uh i didn't want that to be jeopardized so bad that we couldn't you know come back together his son is my godson and so we parted ways and uh i just kept moving you know i moved to chicago and one of our very first clients from the company that we started uh, is a chiropractor here in Chicago. I went to him and he said, so what are you up to now? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, he goes, well, me and my partner know what you did down at this other company. Maybe we could work together and do the same thing here. And we shook hands, decided to do it. And then the rest is history. And so basically for folks who don't know, what you guys do is you run a practice management company underneath you. There's multiple hundred, you know, 50, 60, hundred locations of, um, of chiropractic clinics. Is that the, is that kind of how you describe it? You bet. Um, we're a chiropractic organization. We're a privately held one. So we're not a franchise, but right now we're growing so fast. I don't know, Brian, uh, we're in 11 States, uh, about 158 offices, I believe right wow. in that area. Um, and we're still growing big time. It's a, it's a golden age for chiropractic professionally. Um, really? And yeah. And so what we do is we really support chiropractors being able to just be the doctor mm -hmm. because it's still a very mom and pop uh, profession, meaning that 90% of chiropractors are sole proprietors. And the challenge with that is they learn how to take care of patients, but they don't know how to run a business. They don't know how to market. They don't know what type of infrastructure, all the stuff that you have to have in running a business. Mm -hmm. And so we provide all of that so that they can then focus on their patients, still get paid handsomely and uh, have their staff support uh, some incredible outcomes. And so do you go out recruiting um, individual chiropractic businesses now and say, hey, come under our fold and we can help you? Or how do you guys grow it? Um, well, and uh, there's a, it's twofold. We have what's called de novo. And de novo is when you open up an office on your own, you sign the lease, you do all the build out and everything. And now you're leasing uh, this space. That's a Cairo One Wellness Centers. What we've been doing over the last four years is acquiring or acquisition, consolidation. Mm -hmm. And because of our infrastructure and our team, we're able to really support the heck out of a new clinic or a clinic that's been in existence for two to three years or whatever and go, Hey, if you come with us, we'll be able to um, multiply your growth and support you. So you're not having to do all of this. And so we have a lot of groups that are also joining us in that process. Wow. That's awesome. It's, I mean, I'm interested in this because I'm from the quad cities, which Palmer chiropractic is in Davenport. So, yeah, you know, yeah. growing up, everyone knew about Palmer and, uh, I think that's where it was invented, maybe even. It um, is. Yeah. So tons of Kairos in the Quad Cities where I'm from. And um, I was just always fascinated fascinated by it as a kid. And did you have any experiences with Kairos or is this just something you fell into through your friend? And and that's and that's kind of been your career. Yeah. Um, I had one experience with a chiropractor um, as a uh, competitor when I was um, wrestling for the Badgers. Um, I'd gotten injured. They you know, uh, said, here's somebody to go to. So I went to a chiropractor, he adjusted me. And I remember going, is that it? And so I just, I had no real association with it helped or not. I'm just like, eh, okay, well, uh, next and let's get back to the mat. Yeah. 
fast forward when I learned more about it, and then I saw what uh, his name is Ben Lerner. Dr. Ben Lerner was able to do as our team chiropractor for our athletes with Tom and Kurt Angle and Terry Brands and uh, Bruce Baumgartner and all those you know legends at that time um, and still legends today. I'm like, wow, this works. And so I really got, you know, buried and immersed into knowing that it can make a tremendous difference in the world, which is one of the three goals I had from back before I got involved in wrestling. And that was to own my own business, serve millions of people uh, in a positive way and make a ridiculous amount of money in the process. Love it. Love it. You know where you were going from an early age. And when you think about all the, the work you're doing outside of your business, you do some speaking and consulting and I was reading your blog and I just, I stumbled across an article where you mentioned the strangest secret. And I've never heard of this before, this program or this show. And you said it had like a big impact on you. Was it? Um, Yeah. I think maybe an interview you did with someone actually. Um, Yeah. What, what, what is that? If, if that rings a bell and if not, no big deal. Sure. No, <laughs> I, I own that, man, because it had such an impact in my life. Um, the Strangest Secret was an audio recording done by Earl Nightingale in the late 60s or early 70s. I don't know the exact date. And at the time, uh, all the recordings that were done were primarily music, musical, right? It was the highest selling spoken word audio recording in history at that time. And he starts off, it was at the beginning of the self-development movement, let's call it, he's kind of like the grandfather of it, a few people before that, but he really took it to another level. And it starts off, he's like, why do people become who they become? And I was in uh, sixth grade and our teacher had us listen to it. And you can look it up on YouTube now and just type in Earl Nightingale, The Stranger's Secret. And so I was listening to it and he starts walking through it. And at the end of it, he finally goes, you become what you think about most of the time. And I go, oh my gosh, I'm going to become a chick? Because at that time, I just hit puberty and I was like lit up about (laughs) this opposite sex that went from fun to play with to, ooh, this is nice, you know? Right, butterflies, yeah, hands are sweaty, absolutely. Um, It's such an important thing though, right? Yeah. Like what you think about is like what, yeah, and there's so many ways to skin that cat, but it's just such a, it almost kind of scares you a little bit. You're like, man, I need to stop being so negative or stop so whiny in my mind. Cause then you're like, that's probably coming out, you know? And, and most of the time we try to be positive, but everyone can slip into those ruts and valleys. Amen. Amen. Wow. So, so you watched that as a, as a middle schooler and that had a big impact on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, when you think about it, as, as you've looked back on it now, do you kind of boil it down to what are some of the lessons you take away from it? Like, be careful what you think about or, or how, how do you use it today? Um, well, today, just like I learned in wrestling, um, I start everything backwards. You know, um, I had a lot of early success because athletically I was, um, yeah, gifted. Just that simple, yeah. right? And um as a result, I was winning. So I really liked it, but I didn't know about planning and seeing it. And then I had a great mentor uh, by the name of Johnny Nelson, who was a stud in high school at that time uh, at my school in my school system. And we lived in the same neighborhood. And he started telling me about, you know, what are your goals? I'm like, um, to win, (laughs) you know, he's like, (laughs) to win what, you know, I'm like, to win. I mean, what else is there, you know? And so he started teaching me about uh, setting a goal and it was to be a state champion and to back that into what you had to do to do it and who you had to wrestle and why you wanted to wrestle the best people because those were the ones you were going to have to beat in order to be the champion. I'm like, true that, true that. You know, <laughs> So I just started learning from that age then how to visualize what I wanted because I saw it actually manifest itself in so many areas then I'm like, I want to be the class president of my school. And then I became wow. a class president and uh, the first African-American class president in my school. I don't know if that's happened since. Um, and then I want to uh, be successful in business and I want to have an incredible wife and I want to have an incredible, and I just started 
backing into seeing what I wanted, um, having the faith to know that if I did the work, which you learn in wrestling, that it was not only possible, it was probable. And to the extent that you could clearly see that and have the faith and the work ethic to go through the challenges, you had a high probability that you were going to actually accomplish it. And so I would use that to this day. Visualization is so important, isn't it? It's just like once you once you master it, it's it, you can apply it to every every channel of life. Absolutely, you know. Um, I learned that at the Olympic Training Center too. You know, uh, I thought that part of the reason people were great because I wrestled a lot of wrestlers and they just crushed me. Like I got beat by Tom Brand so bad, I started walking towards Gable. In between, <laughs> in between periods, because no. I was so tired, I couldn't see straight. You know, and he's kind of pushing me back, going, "The match ain't over yet." I'm like, "Oh, sorry." Oh. <laughs> right, but oh, at the man. end of the day, um, what I learned when I went to the Olympic Training Center was that the majority of what differentiates the ones who made the Olympic teams or medaled at the World Championships. Um, who are the multi-national championships or multi-all-Americans is their mindset and they work on it. So at the Olympic Training Center, we did a lot of stuff physical, but everything physical was augmented by something mental, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, wow, wow. Now I get what I needed to do more of and what I can apply forward. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious. I, I know you're a, a parent and I'm, you know, I'm just wondering what correlations you see between coaching and, and parenting now that you're uh, you're into that world as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, coaching, you typically have a short time frame in which to do everything possible to have your athlete have the best uh, opportunity to succeed possible. And that time frame could be four years in college, five years in high school, four years in uh, high school or college or whatever. And parenting, it's endless. And so it forces you to think far, it forces me to think far in advance of the next competition or the season. You're thinking lifetime. And great coaches do the same thing and they use their uh their wisdom and understanding of that to apply it to the athletic pursuit of something that's going to last a lifetime in your life post your competitive career. As a parent, I've learned that I have to stay probably two to four times ahead of where I would otherwise think as a coach because of the um, far-reaching impact that I'm going to be responsible for, and I can't just hey, it was great working with you. And now they're out in their own life. Like my daughter's part of my life forever. Right. So it's really forced me to um, get better fast. Thinking ahead too is something I I wouldn't even have think, thought of as an answer. Like two to two to four moves ahead for your, you know, from a parenting perspective. Oh yeah. Well, uh, I can tell you my situation. It's a little uh, not unique anymore, but I have a dual household parenting situation so mm -hmm. um my daughter's mother and i aren't together and so we have two households right and so as a result you now have a uh not necessarily a congruency of two people doing their best and that's the only you know feedback that you know the child gets for better or for worse it doesn't matter so now i have to think about okay how is what we're doing here my wife and i uh my wife stephanie what are we doing here that's going to have her be able to think through what she's met with over there and what's happening in school and how can we be the example, even though sometimes the immediate emotional response feels good. It might have an immediate impact, but it has long time consequences long term. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, you just got to stay sharp. <laughs> 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 Lots of coffee. coffee. <laughs> Ultimate wrestling match. Seriously. Ultimate wrestling match. <laughs> well, because it's like, you know, everyone says, uh, you know, when you're coaching, you've never felt more nervous than when you're coaching someone else, like way more than when you wrestled, right? Yeah, oh. it's not even close, right? And oh, I, I can only imagine it's probably like that as a parent times about 20. 
You're yes. just worried about him, nervous and and whatnot. Yes. And and I'm I was just gonna ask you two more questions. The last one we always ask everyone: How did wrestling change your life? But I'm I'm dying to know the first one. Um, you know, you went to Wisconsin on a on a scholarship at a Big Ten school, which is most kids' dreams to do that. Um, you did it. And looking back, you know, what are some things you wish you would have known about college wrestling before you got into it? Now that you've seen so many different avenues of life. That I would have known about college wrestling. Was there anything like once you left Wisconsin, be like, man, I wish I would have, I wish I would have thought of this or, I mean, cause you coached at division three and a lot of people don't consider division three. And I think it's just such an awesome avenue to have that. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, as you look back on your on your career, if there's anything that sticks out for any uh, youngsters listening. You bet. Um, well, uh, one of the things I wanted to be prepared for in this conversation is wrestling is a very small time period of our life. Like when you talk about, let's just use a average lifespan of 80 years it's going to be in the neighborhood of a fourth or less at best, right? Like, I mean, if yep. you have a 20-year career, it's it's like a Jordan Burroughs or our superstars. That's in the thousandth of one percentile of everybody who wrestled, mm-hmm. you know? And if you look at the number of kids who go from high school that place at state or then go on to college, I've done the math on all of it. If you're... Uh, uh, and college athlete, or you're an all American in high school, you're in the thousandth or hundredth of one percentile of all of the other athletes that participated, uh, wrestlers that participated in the sport. Wow. Not even, not even including just your weight class. So the thing that really, um, I took away once I started understanding it, that I wish I would have known is, you know, winning and losing loses its, uh, it's power at that uh, level that I see in great coaches like Kale Sanderson, Dan Gable was great at that, where they come at it from a, um, how is this going to help your life? And just use wrestling as a way to train yourself to be the best human being possible. Because you ain't going to be wrestling for flipping ever. Right. And it's going to be over before you shake your head sideways. And whether you go to the coaching route or whether you go through anything else, I was so caught up in winning and losing when I was in college that um, it took me longer to then appreciate the value of everything that I went through while I was in it um, to understand afterwards as a result of just my ignorance on, man, this is a lifetime learning thing, kind of chill out a little bit and have more fun. Man, it's so crazy you said that because just last week I was talking with my dad and he used to say when we were kids, this is your life, this is your wrestling life. And <laughs> just like you just said, and it's so true because again, at the time in middle school, you're like, man, this guy's full of crap. He doesn't, he doesn't know what, you know, you're just, you doubt it. Right. But then as you get out of it, you're like, obviously it's like you're, when you're done wrestling, most people, let's say they did go to all four years of college and wrestled, which is rare. You're 22. That's you're so young at that point. You know, like you have so much life left. It's like that's that's the end of it, though. You know. So, yeah. so to your point, um, I'm just glad you mentioned that. Cause again, something that my dad used to say, and I didn't even realize how lucky I was that he was saying that. Yeah, we are blessed. That's for yeah. sure. Now, you know, wrestling changed my life is the name of this podcast. I know it's had a profound impact on you, and you are such a perfect example of wrestling, like the work you're doing in your business and your philanthropy. I mean, just you're spreading the good word of wrestling just by your own actions. But I'm just curious, like, what are some of the big things wrestling's given you? Well, I would say everything. I really would. Um, you know, I'm incredibly uh, grateful to have a phenomenal family upbringing, strong parents, um, great community of people around me, great coaches, um, just a lot of guidance and leadership. However, uh, the thing that changed everything for me is wrestling, you know, because it was the, the synthesis of everything that it takes to be great in anything, you know, being responsible for your results and not blaming cause outside of yourself and um, having the work ethic to put in the work that most people 
and just quit on having the ability to understand goal setting and the teamwork that's necessary and the support that you need to do it. So you're not a one man or one woman show. Um, all of the things that go into it, like when you get kicked in the teeth, punched in the nose, you get pinned, you get obliterated, you get, you know, you walk towards Gable instead of your own coach at the time, cause you're so tired that you can still endure and continue forward. And so whether it's getting my teeth kicked in by some thing I do that didn't work out well with my daughter. And I'm like, dang it. Okay. I got to learn from that or in business, we've gone through an almost uh, catastrophic, you know, implosion of our business that we then had to build back up through. And now we're super thriving, but no matter what in relationships, uh, in business in our physical health in our mental health and everything, the characteristics that it takes to compete, let alone be great in wrestling, are applicable unlike anything else that you'll do in your life. And so yeah. uh, it it made every bit of the difference. I love that. And just thank you so much for coming on today, Brett. It's been awesome to have you and uh, just really appreciate the message. And I love bringing folks in from business. So uh, it's um, it's been a lot of fun. Anything we missed? Anything you want to hit on before we sign off, sir? Uh, I just really want to honor and acknowledge you, man. I mean, big time. And Appreciate this podcast that. and everything that you're doing, uh, being able to get this out, you know, we're in such a fantastic time period of wrestling right now. We have flow wrestling, which we're able to actually see the best matches in the world and we don't have to travel to it. We have our athletes being able to be supported. We have uh, MMA being able to be an avenue in which our great athletes can then make a really solid and strong living. And the more people understand and know about wrestling outside of our beautiful but small community um the better the world is and you are one of the people who are really making that happen by spreading the word to hundreds of thousands of millions of people to be able to learn something that us who love and covet it know really really well but we want the world to understand the power that it can have for them so that their kids if they haven't done it can participate in the world's oldest and greatest sport. So thank you. No, it's big time. thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's an honor and uh, it's just something fun to do. So it's, it's, it's also when something you like to do uh, helps people and people like it, you know? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon, Brett. Have a great day. Hey, thanks Ryan. Bye now. Thanks for listening to this episode of wrestling changed my life. This episode was brought to you by athletic greens, Go to athleticgreens.com slash WCML to take advantage of a special offer of five free travel packs and a one-year supply of vitamin D droplets. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a rating or review on Apple and Spotify Podcasts. We'll see you later this week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life.